You're listening to The Powerful Creator Show with your host, Cheryl Sosnowski. If you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. And now, here's your host, Cheryl Sosnowski. the Powerful Creator Show today, Roger. It is my pleasure. I'm just delighted to be with you. And I'm I'm coming from Colorado Springs, the bay for Pikes Peak. Beautiful. And, uh, yeah, it's really nice to be with you this morning. You as well. And I love to kick off my conversations with my guests by asking what it means to you to be a powerful creator. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question in, in this way. When I was in seminary, I knew that I had some talents. This was 20, 22 years ago. I knew it was 23 years ago. I knew I had some, some gifts and talents. I was younger. Um, but this woman, Kathleen Norris, who's a beautiful author, came to um, Wesley Seminary in DC and she was gonna do a workshop and, and she, the requirement was that you had to um, test into it. And I was too scared to, to do it. I was overwhelmed by her writing ability and her personality and who she was to me as a person of faith. And because um, she, she combined poetry and faith and writing and creative nonfiction. And, um, and I couldn't do it even though I've been writing poetry and, and, and so on. So I was too scared, but the next semester um, in the Arts and Religion Center, there was a local poet who was going to be doing poetry workshops. And I wasn't intimidated and I wasn't scared. And I grabbed her and she became a mentor to me on writing poetry out of a place of faith. So from that person who was scared to write into a workshop that I really wanted to be at, to now I am writing and I've just published a book, my first book at 55. Um, I decided that I would just write, offer it up to the world. If anybody was interested, great. If nobody was interested, that's fine too. Although I am white and male, so you know I got a little competitive around wanting everybody to read my book. But um, I offered it up as a gift. So I'm a powerful creator in the sense that I can sit on my ass and listen mm. and listen for the promptings of the spirit, listen for the wisdom of my heart and put that down into words, sometimes as prayers, sometimes as poems, sometimes as stories. And now I've published a book. Beautiful. Beautiful. So you are a man who values words. I'm ga I'm gathering. Yes, I like my words. As a matter of fact, in seminary, I was in I was in a in, um, 
in a class with a, a professor who was a contemporary of King, African-American guy. And, and um, he was like, Roger, you love your words, but it was too much for preaching. It was perfect for poetry, but for preaching, I was like reading, 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 because every word mattered to me. And he was like, look, look, you're preaching. You're not, you're not writing an essay. You know, you got to preach a little bit. So I love words. And sometimes that's really great. Most of the time, that's really great. Sometimes it's not the most important thing, but I love my words. Yes. Yeah, I, I do too. And I, you know, especially like as I'm getting older and diving more into more studies of um, the Aramaic philosophies of Jesus about the, the, how words were such containers of so many meanings. Yes. And I see you thumbing through a book there. <laughs> I'm going to read to you something. I'm excited. You know? I saw your face just go, Ooh, I want to read something. So I love that words are especially words with poetry. It's like finding the perfect words. It's like picking the right fruit to mix in a salad and it has to go. Yes. So Here's how I've come to appreciate words and give them the value that they need, but not let them overwhelm me. And it's all through silence. You ready? This is the prayer after God say a word. And um, I, I write a little story and then I do a little prayer, open, invitational, non sectarian. And then I do some reflection questions. That's the heart of this book, Seeds of Devotion. Beautiful. So this is how I've come to love words. Listen, be quiet, be still, be gentle, relax your jaw, loosen your shoulders, listen, be gentle, be still, be quiet. Let the silence and the stillness make sacred the place you're in right now. Look at the light or the table or the cloud or the moon or the sun or the wild wind through the wild trees. They too are a sacred text. Listen, be still, be quiet, be gentle. The world does not need your words. Let your mind crawl into your heart space and let it take a nap for a little while. There's nothing to think. There's nothing to know. Surrender to that silence. Let us still quiet, gently keep you just for a while. Amen. Amen. Right? So words are super important, but sometimes just got to let them go. Ooh, yeah. So, yeah, as a sound healer, there's times that words don't belong and it's really just an utterance or a quiet or a hum or something else that is the sound that's necessary for that time. Do you put like big old Buddha bowls over people's head and bang on them? Is no, not over, not over someone's head. I haven't done that. I, I put them in on feet though, to like affect your body coming up. Um, and I use yeah. crystal bowls you could see behind me. So it just depends on, um, I, you know, it's very intuitive. So what, what I sense a person needs for their energy field. Nice. Yeah. And so the sound that you use is like 
a part of their vibrational healing. Right. Is that the idea? Yeah. And I do, I'm um, kind of like along the lines with what you just did prayer, like prayer, voice, chanting, breath, oh, sound, yes. sound bowls, all of those things are tools for healing your vibrational field. Don't you love it? I do love it. I do love it. And I loved that prayer that you wrote. That was really, really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'll it's very, very visceral. I like, I'm listening to you and I'm like, oh, drop your shoulders, relax. And the invitation is there. Exactly. You can do with it what you want, right? It's your, it's your life. um, Yes, it is your life. And so let's talk about for a minute, the power of words, especially from someone who's a poet and who values the power of words. How do you see the importance of a word as a person who finds words important? The importance of a word? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I think about the importance of a word? Yeah. Oh, Man, well, so I would say two things. One, I'm a hospital chaplain. I'm, I'm with families when somebody has died. I'm with families when somebody is in a trauma. And um, it doesn't matter unless you're being disrespectful. It doesn't matter what words you say to the person in that situation like words don't carry much weight at all in that so i mean what are you going to say to somebody whose loved one just died tragically like there's nothing there's not a word in the world that's going to make that better or fix that um and so words and situations like that are meaningless but the the presence the conveying of solidarity and connectedness um that healing presence is more important than any words you can say Mm. if you're writing a haiku (laughs) you've got like what i don't know how many (laughs) (laughs) if you're writing a haiku then every word is like precious right yes Um, and I'm, i'm reading this incredible book right now by george saunders who's a kind of a Buddhist and a, and a writing teacher at Syracuse. And he talks about um, these Russian short story writers and he, he, he puts the story out there and then he tells you how it works. And I swear to God, like I, I, I could have read that story and been like, Oh, that's a sweet little story about a music competition in the middle of nowhere in Russia in 1901, you know? He starts deconstructing and telling you how every scene pushes forward that narrative. And these small little words add up to something magical. And it's all happening inside your brain. You don't even know it. Yes, yes, yes. And I, damn, that's impressive right there, you know? Like, I just thought it was like a little story about some guys who were bored and drunk and they started singing. But no, um, you know. Mm. so words can be precious and so powerful and almost magical and words can mean almost nothing but presence can mean everything Mm -hmm. that's why in that that prayer poem i read to you you know get out of your headspace and let it take a nap in your heart sometimes you just you just like 
that comes from much personal experience. <laughs> yeah, our intellect is supposed to be in service of our heart, but we, most of us have tuned out the energy of the heart and let our mind rule everything. And our perception is so tiny and narrow. Yeah. Uh, yes. Speaking to the um, choir. Of yeah, me too. It's like, I work on expanding that perception. Right. So, and that's what, to me, that's what words are. If they're being used intentionally, that they're supposed to be exactly what you just said in your mind, creating a visual perception of a reality for you, that if you're paying attention to the words, you start to notice the picture that's being painted by what's being said or what you're reading or what you're singing in a song. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 Music is church. Like I go to church and I would go to church even if I weren't a religious professional and even if my wife weren't a minister who makes me go to her church, I still <laughs> go to church because I love church. But, um, but music, oh, music, that that really is my church. That's where I, like, yes. Mine too. Be, you know, like sacred music. I'm not talking about like. Not church music. Well, I mean, some of it, but not all, not all of it. Um, but you know, it could be like REM or the Counting Crows. And I'm like, oh, I'm dating myself. (laughs) It's okay, but it's true. And like every year, my husband and I, our favorite thing to do is go to the Telluride Blues and Brews Festival for the live music for three days of heavenly in this most beautiful place you've ever been with all these amazing bands all day long. And when they didn't do it last year, I literally cried when I got the email that it was canceled. I cried. I was so upset. <laughs> I mean, tell you, right. You know, the other thing is, um, <clears throat> I'll read this. I'll read this piece. Um, that's after the story, the parables explained never, you know, how Jesus was always talking in parables. Yes. <clears throat> But later at night with only the disciples around, he explained everything. I'm like, no, I don't want it. Don't give me the explanation. I'd rather live in the mystery. Um, (laughs) Never. (laughs) um, You know, I used to want the answers. And I I used to want to be right. Mm. And I used to want to say to everybody else, this is how you should think. But then I grew up and had some experience. Right. So this is this is the importance of just like being like, you know what? I don't know. So people ask me, why is this happening to me? Like, what in the world? 19 surgeries in my life. Why does this happen to me? I don't know. That's all you can say. Like, oh. Yeah. I mean, you can say more than that, but. Well, thank you for not saying because you attracted it to yourself, which I've heard people say to people. Oh, thank you. Um, Oh, great mystery, the known beyond all knowing. Oh, that I might live without certainty, that I might live in the questions of it all, to be comfortable there, to stay there and abide in it, the messiness of it, the non-assurance of it, as you abide in me, though I know nothing of myself. Mm. As you abide in me, and your love and your grace, even though I am lost and unsure and guarded and all of it messy, messy. Thank you. And again, I say thank you. Amen. Beautiful. Oh, right? my gosh. Like, I don't Amen. know why 
I don't know why you have to go through a life where you have 19 surgeries. I mean, it just, it sucks. It's not fair and there's nothing to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. Other than what have you, what have you learned from it? And even if it's just to ask that question. Exactly. And remind them that whatever resources are inside them must be awfully resilient to have. Unbelievably resilient. Yes. Beautiful. Weeds of devotion, weekly contemplations on faith by me, Roger Butts. I'm ordering it, Roger Butts, because it's beautiful. And I love that. I love, love, love the way you write. It's very, you have a, there's genius and simplicity and you have that genius. Mm, Yeah. It's just like, yeah. 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 Thank you. I don't think I have quite the genius, but I have the simplicity because there's only, you know, I'm a bear of little brain, as Pooh used to say. (laughs) Not true at all. I think you're a bear of big brain, but you also (laughs) are a bear of big heart. So you've let your heart lead and allow your mind to be like, the mind is supposed to filter through the energy of the heart. And I feel like if you let it do that, that all of those extra superfluous words just drop away. And then you're left with the genius and the essence. Yeah, you know, Emerson was always talking about how um, you 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 put your thought through, wait, what was it? You put your experience through the fire of thought or something, but there was something about fire and just melting down to the essentials, you know, just get to those essentials, which is why the stories are not particularly long in here. They're just little snapshots. And the goal of the book is to um, say, I've got my, I've got my experiences, and they're not yours, and they're not, you know, my wife's, um, and I and 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 I've tried to work through prayerfully um, the right questions to ask to make sense of those. But the goal is not for you to like have my experiences. It's so that your experiences can be looked at prayerfully, and the right questions can come out so that you can make of your life a gospel or good news or, you know, a life of the spirit, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm finally maturing into that space of um, wanting my whole life to be a prayer and be like everything I do is a prayer. How I treat other people is a prayer. How I choose to drive my car is a prayer. What I eat is a prayer. Maybe. How I choose to, to um, drive my car may or may not be a prayer. but <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I pray too fast, I must confess. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, you know, that's the idea. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it was vulnerable. I, I finally had, with COVID, the opportunity to write this book and the time and the space and then a friend of mine who's known me a while said, we'll, we'll take it. You know, this publishing firm will, will take it. And um, I was like, okay, then let's do this. And so I had to write some of the prayers. The, some of the stories are from like 20 years ago, and some of them are COVID stories mm-hmm. um, that just happened. And so it's, it's interesting. Um, putting it out there in the world is vulnerable. You know, oh. that's how you're a powerful creator is to say, you know, despite the vulnerability and the risk and the scariness, I'm going to 
fall in. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to take the leap. That's what makes somebody a powerful creator. Yeah. Um, so you want to hear another one? I would love or, to. And would you like on no, it's not. I love it. And on on that topic of vulnerability, do you feel like that that is putting your work out there and putting yourself out there, whether it's you know, in whatever you're doing with all of your heart, you're exposing your heart. Is that where the vulnerability comes from, you feel? Yeah, or like being rejected, you know, for being me, rejected. it's like you know, it's like, oh, nobody liked my stuff. Well, my stuff not, must not be very good, you know, but then you get trapped in that whole like what's gonna be good enough? Like if you're at this level, you know, I have I have an uncle who wrote the five love languages, you know, and um, you know, he's been on Oprah and you know, my aunt Carolyn says about him, uh, he doesn't know he's old and he doesn't know he's famous. <laughs> <laughs> Because he just lives it, right? He just lives it, you know? He told me the other day, he was like, Kelly Clarkson on The Voice said something about the love languages as if, like, nobody has ever heard of it, you know? <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> that is hilarious. I think they even imp- incorporate that in some dating apps, like, find out your love language. <laughs> oh, no. no doubt. That's funny. So, um, this is... Two people in the last day have told me this was really meaningful. One was a hospice nurse. Mm. Um, and she said she read it to a group when they were really struggling with um, lots of death and lots of sadness. And then um, I can't remember who the, the, the other one was. Oh, some, some guy I'd never met before from Michigan just wrote me and said he really loved this piece. So I thought I'd share it with you. Yes, please. Okay? Absolutely. <clears throat> So this is called the temple and the bell. And um, often um, I start the little chapters with a, um, a little quote from the Bible or from Thich Nhat Hanh or Rumi or whatever. And this is from Thich Nhat Hanh. So this is called the temple and the bell. Suppose a nun is working in the garden and hears the phone ring. The first thing she does is stop watering the vegetables And then she practices breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in, I calm myself. Mm -hmm. Breathing out, I smile. And she does that at least three times before putting down the hose and going into the office to answer the phone. Does that stick out? (laughs) It's like, okay. Um, The temple and the bell. Somewhere there is a temple, Buddhist or Christian on a hillside overlooking the persistent crashing ocean waves. And in that temple is a bell. It rings before the morning prayer. It rings before vespers. The monks put away their brooms. The nuns file away their papers. They make their way to the chapel to chant and to pray. The sound of the bell is the breaking through of eternity in the everyday chores of life. The sound of the bell has lived on this hillside for generations during the floods and when food was scarce and when the wars came. The bell knows its work to signal the coming of the next thing, to call the ones gathered to mindfulness, to remind each of their beat and beating hearts, 
to sing a song of hope and remembrance and gratitude, to bring them back to their deepest selves. You are the temple and the bell. You help me to see the way home. So I have goosebumps. That was beautiful. That's because it's 140 degrees where you live. (laughs) It's 78 in my office. It's the perfect temperature. (laughs) That was really, really beautiful, Roger. Really beautiful. Yeah, you you have have a a beautiful gift of touching the heart. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for sharing it. I would love to talk about, you mentioned in the beginning before we went live about your... um, your stint as a politician and in the spiritual world. So let's talk about that and how, what an interesting combination. Yes, <laughs> what made you want to be a politician? Yeah. So when I was growing up, um, you know, I grew up in Galesburg, Illinois, and there was a real sense of community, a real sense of, it was a small town, but there was a real sense that you, you gave back and you contributed to the community and you did what you could. And, um, and so that was always in my consciousness. It was always in my awareness that you just sort of try to do what you can for the community. And I went off to college in the mountains of North Carolina. My uncle was a professor at this college, at this university. So I went there. I didn't know where else to go. Um, and so I, I went there and I studied political science. And after I graduated from college, one of my first jobs was working for a US Senator from North Carolina, a Democrat, a man who still I think of as a role model. He had been president of Duke, he had been governor of North Carolina. And instead of retiring like a normal human, you know, to the beach or wherever um, he wanted, he could have gone anywhere. Um, he, he went to the US Senate. And I, and I worked with him. But even when I was working in the Senate, I was hanging out with like Catholic workers. They were like teaching me how to dumpster dive. And, and you know, I was hanging out with like Church of the Savior, which is like more evangelical. I was hanging out with the Unitarians, which is my tradition. And I'm always trying to figure out how do communities live out their 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 values and their principles. And it was pretty clear that I did not have the, um, you know, politics is like rugby or lacrosse, you know, you gotta jump in there and like, and and fight for what you believe in. And I was willing to do that, but um, you've got to really have a, a, an assertiveness. And I just didn't have it. I mean, I'm type, I'm type S or T. You know, thank God I married someone who's type A or we'd never get anything done around here. But um, so I taught for a little while and, um, and then I went to seminary. And so I've worked only in politics and religion. So even like in 2004, I was in the newspaper. I was in a parish setting in Iowa and I was in the newspaper celebrating marriage equality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we founded this organization, Progressive Action for the Common Good, um, which gave people a voice. Um, and I've always been working on LGBTQ stuff and um, anti-death penalty stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do that out of my faith. So I've integrated those pieces. 
but the pure political world like i was like oh man i do not belong here number one like everybody that was around me came from these like fabulously wealthy powerful families right and i was like oh my mom has an eighth grade education you know it's like okay how you know what are you gonna do with that and people liked me enough you know they liked me but it was it was a different world and um and that's why i gravitated more towards faith-based activism right because that was more comfortable for me you stand up for what you believe but you're not out to like mess with your opposition too much right so i've worked in politics i've worked in religion uh, now i've got to get a sex i've got to get a sex education certificate so i can say politics religion and sex but i, I still have some time <laughs> you still have some time for that one for sure so were you always drawn to the spiritual side of life like as a kid do you remember being very esoteric yeah you know um like I think when I was in high school, I had like a Henry David Thoreau quote on my wall. Like who had a who like what 15, 17 year old had a Henry David Thoreau quote on their wall? I was like, so my parents were super religious. My I had two uncles, I mentioned one who were Baptist ministers. Um and so if the doors were open to the church house, we were there. And um, and I still have friends from from my growing up youth group. Um, we've all gone different directions, but um, but I still have friends. But yeah, I've always thought about it. It's always been there. Like some people, like my like one of my best friends in the world. He grew up in the same environment, and he doesn't he doesn't have those questions at all. He's like, man, nah, gave up religion. I'm done with it. I don't you know don't worry about it. He still bought a copy of my book, though. <laughs> but um, he doesn't have those questions, but I have those questions like, where do we find meaning? Where do we find purpose? What are we doing here? I don't have the question about where do we go after life? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm more with the Unitarians on that. Like, mm-hmm. um, lots of people say what happens after you die. But I want to know if there's life before you die. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that we live our life to the quality of the questions we ask ourselves. That's what my book's about. Is it? Well, yeah. I mean, there's always reflection questions at the end so that you can ask the good questions of yourself. That's how you live your life. Here's how I explain the book. Your life is dripping with the divine presence. The world is dripping with the divine presence. No matter how dire the situation or joyous the occasion, we are, vi- and we are invited into the awareness of that beloved presence. There are different things needed to get there. Humility and self-awareness, that's St. Teresa of Avila. Mm-hmm. Walking the dog for an hour and a half, that's my wife's prayer practice. Yoga, centering prayer. Silence is crucial. Naming your experience a prayerful orientation, and asking the right questions to alight your imagination and compassion. Mm. This book is an attempt to help us get there, right? But it's alighting your imagination and compassion. Beautiful, Roger. Like like if the question is, um, sometimes my wife, I mentioned she's a minister, you know, 
um, she sometimes asks, Roger, what is wrong with you? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not the right question to ask. Your brain so, starts looking for all the things that are wrong. <laughs> so um, this is an attempt at, to, to name your experience, have a prayerful orientation towards that experience to really get into that heart space and listen, you know, listen well, and then to ask the right questions. That's what I think is, is like the, the sidewalk that will get you into purpose and meaning and alignment and all those woo-woo words that we like to use. And they're not woo-woo. They're, I mean, if you take it this, if you take away the word God, then it's really how you live in the, the quantum field of existence that we all live in and how to operate. It responds to your energy. It responds to your questions. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, and, and so I worked at a unity spiritual center for, for, for six years and, um, and my boss was like, I loved her. You know, I, I come out of the Christian tradition. She comes out of this pagan tradition mm. and she's like, Roger, eventually you get there you know it's got to travel through your brain and run around your, the labyrinth that's your brain and eventually you get into your heart i'm like yes that is correct <laughs> some of us it just takes a long time <laughs> it just takes a while yeah you know i had a really interesting insight yesterday or the, a couple of days ago about letting go and this oh, yeah. whole like this whole idea about letting go and what that means and i really had this vision of to let go of something is really as simple as opening your hand and letting it go because it's done and it's over and it's gone. And if you don't practice that practice of letting go and coming into the present creation point moment that you can spend your whole life creating things to let go of and never live your life. Exactly what you said. Yeah. You just, um, the movie, you know, in centering prayer, I'm, I'm into centering prayer. A lot of my friends are. And, um, you know, what, what people say about that meditation, centering prayer, is that um, there are these movies that are going to come across. And all the movie wants you to do is get hooked into the plot. And you can get carried away into that plot. Mm-hmm. And then you're off, right? But if you just let it go and um, release it and just say, thank you for visiting, and, you know, but now is not the time. Um, so in centering prayer which is where you just sit for 20 minutes and, and try to empty out that space and let God do what God's going to do. Um, you know, uh, Father, Father Thomas Keating says, uh, you know, he's of blessed memory now, but he said, um, even if the virgin, even if the, the mother comes to visit you and wants to speak, you say, not now, dearie. I'm in the middle of my century prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Could you come back in 10 minutes? <laughs> back here. And so, you know, that's a big, that's a big part of it. And and another nun said, you know, I, I, I feel like all I do in this time is like, is, is like, you know, I have a million distractions. And he says, that is beautiful. It's a million times to practice letting go, right? Mm, amen to that yeah Yeah. um you want a blessing before we leave i would love a blessing but before you do the blessing tell people where they can find your book and how they can find you this is seeds of devotion weekly contemplations on faith 
and um, it is on Amazon and it is on Barnes and Noble online and it is on Bookshop. It's on Cokesbury, which is a Methodist bookstore, you know, like um, national bookstore. It's on the um, In Spirit, the UU Unitarian Universalist bookstore online. And, um, and so buy it, you know. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I can't wait to get my copy. I'm going to order it today, as a matter of fact, and make it part of my, my morning practice. I love it. Yeah. And um, there's a, there's stories from, from civil rights leaders, from different religions, um, yeah. from my chapter. I love and the then, idea of spiritual activism that you talked about. And that's a whole other conversation that we could get into. And well, I'll have to have you back for a part two about spiritual activism because it's so important. Yeah. Super important. It's, it's it, you can't just, um, well, I mean, yeah, that's another conversation. We'll definitely and have on um, Facebook. There's a seeds of devotion Facebook page. Okay. Not much happened there, but that's okay. Um, I'm on Facebook, Roger Butts, and I'm on um, Twitter. I write on medium.com. Oh, okay. And, and I um, also contribute to Contemplative Light um, online. So you can find me around. I'll send you all the links. If we find, if we Google your name, I'm sure there's not very many of you popping up. No. I think there was a like, yeah, I don't think there are many. Um, there there can't be that many rancher buttses, can there? If you put liberal Christian in there, you'll definitely get me. <laughs> so, you know, like one of the prayers begins, Allah, Buddha, Jesus, Mother Mary, God, Yahweh, Sister Dorothy Day, Brother Martin, Father Lewis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really play with the, the names of God and the image of God. But here's a blessing for you, okay, Cheryl Sosnowski. Right. Sosnowski, is how do you say it? Yep. Is that it? Yep. All right. This is after the um, chapter on the death of the Buddha. When he's like, everybody's like, what should we do? What should we do? And Buddha's like, I've done my thing. It's your turn now. You go and live your life. You make a light of yourself. It's yep. go. <laughs> right so this is after this is after that may life surprise you today may a sense of grace come out of nowhere in the middle of your daily tasks may a sense of peace find you in the unlikeliest of places may a sense of courage and renewal find you may god's love surround you and may a gentleness, a returning quietness, and a restoring stillness be with you now and always. A restorative wholeness is yours to claim and embrace. And may faith, hope, and love be your constant companions. God bless your day. Amen. Amen. I let it be so, and so it is. Thank you. So beautiful. So good. Thank you. What a wonderful conversation. It's been an absolute delight and warmed my heart and created space in me, which I love. And so I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah, you're talking like John Wesley. Now you might be a secret Methodist. He was always talking about his, the, the, the warming of his heart. So, you know, isn't that beautiful? He was yeah. always talking about my heart was strangely warmed. 
<laughs> I did not know that. I've never heard anybody else. Well, I mean, I guess it's a common thing because I feel like there's a fire in my heart and sometimes people come along that just fan it and the fire goes whoosh. Yeah. And you were one of those people who fanned my heart today. Thank you. And I hope yes. that people listening felt fanned in their heart as well. Yeah. Yeah. And them, um, and that their heart will tell them to buy my book, you know? I mean, like, yes. <laughs> buy your book, buy this book. This book needs to be read by everybody. And in fact, I think I'm going to buy multiple copies and I like to leave um, good books and places for people to find. So I'm going to leave a little surprise book with a little note in there about this conversation and you and what it means and just how beautiful it is. And this work you've put in the world is so absolutely needed and beautiful. And it's the most beautiful work of spiritual activism there could be. Yes. <laughs> we'll talk again. All we, right. Is that a deal? We'll it's a deal again. for sure. Have a blessed day, Roger. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the powerful creator show with Cheryl Sosnowski. Subscribe at iTunes or go to PowerfulCreatorShow.com and join our email list so you never miss a future episode. Have a powerfully creative day.